welcome to episode 223 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. Binoculars, finally, Shane, we talked about refractor, refractors, refractors, reflectors, compound telescopes, finally, a binocular episode. Yeah. Yeah. And, and binoculars are sort of, you know, we, we use them almost every session. So they're the perfect companion to any telescope, I think. How many binoculars do you currently own, Shane? Ooh, um, I think about six pairs, I think. Oh, uh, you know what? I have some vintage, um, like mi- uh, miniature binoculars as well. Oh, yeah. So I think maybe seven or eight, if I count those ones. Yeah. I think I've got nine. Ten? Okay. Something oh, wow. like that. Yeah, nine or ten. And it still doesn't seem like enough. <laughs> somehow, somehow, I think what I really need is another pair of binoculars that fits in between. I don't know. Um, so how useful are they? And how much oh. do you use your binoculars? How useful are your binoculars? How much do you use them, Shane? Um, well, they're extremely useful. Like what one of the things I love about binoculars um, is the portability. So you know, you and I fret an awful lot over travel telescopes. Well, almost the better alternative in some cases is just putting a pair of binoculars in your suitcase or your carry-on luggage. Yeah. Um, so they're super portable. Um, and then the other thing I love about them is they're, especially when you travel, they're the multi-use, like they're awesome at night, but you know, you can go whale watching during the day or, you know, yeah. wherever you're sightseeing, they, they can become a real benefit. And even when we do our astronomy trips down to the grasslands, uh, during the daytime, sometimes we do some scenic drives in the park and we get yeah. out and it's nice to have the binoculars with us to, uh, to use. So um, you know, I, I, I would say I use my binoculars quite a bit, but I would say the majority is not even for astronomy. Although there are some nights where just the, the convenience and the ease of binoculars are just so nice for, for looking at the stars. Um, so, uh, they, they do get out quite a bit with me. Yeah. I, I always like to tell people that my, um, visual astronomy, it's all broken down. I'm- pretty much just a visual astronomer and it's a third and a third and a third it's a third naked eye stuff it's a third binocular stuff and a third telescope stuff mm. and people are often really surprised at that but um it, the, the the fact that plays in is that binoculars are are really not much more um of of a time investment or a challenge to use than just going out and and looking naked eyes so binoculars really bring a lot to the table they get you really more than halfway to the views that you're going to have through a telescope anyway, especially small ones like that we use. And uh, yeah, I mean, you just carry them in your hand and, you know, for the most part, though, we'll talk about some, some bigger ones here, but um, before I, before I go off on too many tangents, I feel like I'm just like going off on too many tangents today, but uh, how did you get introduced to binoculars for astronomy, Shane? Um, I think it was the, the book uh, titled The Backyard Observer's Guide uh, okay. by Terrence Dickinson and Alan Dyer. Um, that was my my real like kind of astronomy 101 when I got into the hobby or like seriously in 2003. Yep. Uh, I, I purchased that book uh, maybe even before I purchased a telescope, I think. 
And I, I think I've probably read that entire book 20 times at least in my lifetime, <laughs> Yeah, uh, especially early on. Like it was just such a valuable resource for me. And one of the things that um, both Terrence and Alan talked about was, you know, binoculars. There's, a, there's an entire chapter devoted to it. And um, I, I think, I think on a pretty regular basis, Terrence Dickinson sort of has his recommended uh, binoculars for amateur astronomy, and it's a blend of performance and, and sort of price, you know, and, and value yeah. that you're getting. And I, I don't know what the current recommendation is, but I think at the time, uh, the recommendation was seven by 50 Bosch and Lom legacies. Um, yeah, okay. I think, vintage or, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or maybe it was even 10 by 50s. I can't remember, but I yeah. ended up purchasing them and, and uh, they, they worked quite well, but you know, now that I know a little bit more, um, they were a little heavy and, yeah. um, I think I, you know what, I think I had the 10 times version and, and I just, I don't hold 10 times very well. Um, yeah. like it's just too unsteady. So, um, I'm more of a seven or eight times kind of guy, but, uh, you know, everybody's a little different in that regard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, <laughs> I was really disappointed. Well, why is that? <laughs> well, I, I had really wanted a, a telescope and uh, I had gone to, uh, I was studying archaeology in England and, uh, and, and um, my partner who I'd gone with, uh, you know, had recognized that I very quickly developed a deep interest in astronomy. I always kind of had an interest in astronomy, had a little telescope when I was younger. And then when we were in, um, in the UK, I had gone to the British Museum and the, uh, I think it was like the uh, British Astronomical Association had a thing set up and you could look through a Galileo. I got a bird here. Um, anyway, I had a, they had a Galileo telescope set up. You could look through and some other materials. And it was, yeah, it was really, really neat, really uh, sparked my enthusiasm to actually do it for myself, not just sort of keep thinking about doing it. And so for Christmas, she bought me um the same book as you, Backyard Astronomer's Guide. I think it was just the previous edition. This was the, the white edition and a pair of binoculars. And I was so disappointed because I had never heard of using binoculars to do astronomy before and figured uh, the only way to do it was, was with a telescope. So I was, you know, it was probably one of those things where just classic, like out of a movie or something, somebody's opening the gift and they think it's because I opened the astronomy book yep. and I'm thinking the next thing is, like keys to the telescope kind of thing and you open it up and it's a pair of binoculars. It's like, what's this? You know? <laughs> oh, that's funny. So anyway, they were 10 by fifties made for glasses wearers. They were a predecessor to, I think the, the, the version that, that you had had and uh, they were okay. And, uh, but yeah, I was really, really disappointed. Um, but Pretty quickly, I learned a couple things. Well, one, I, I and and she said like, I, I was worried you'd be disappointed, but she had checked with a local amateur astronomer who who I eventually got to know and observe at his observatory sometimes in my hometown, and yeah. um, had checked with him and had checked with some other people, and they had said no, this is this is the way to do it kind of thing, and uh, just to read that section in the book like you did and and go out and try it, and so I read it with a buddy of mine. And we thought this is ridiculous. And we went out and found like the Orion Nebula, like in like five seconds. And, you know, we had the binoculars, read the chapter, walked out on a winter night and we found the Orion Nebula, like in five seconds. And, uh, 
yeah, I was hooked ever since because I realized, well, this is just so easy to use. It was really fun. And, you know, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a really, really neat experience. So yeah, it really, really turned around from being like, honestly, when I got those, I considered it to be the worst Christmas present I had ever received. <laughs> and five days later, I considered it to be the best Christmas present I had ever received just about. So pretty big turnaround there. Wow. Yeah. That's a neat story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so why are they so, why are binoculars so good? Like in your opinion, Shane, what, what really makes them, what are the, some of the attributes in binoculars that just makes, makes them really a must have for somebody who's doing astronomy? Whew. Um, I, I, again, I think it's their versatility. Um, the, in general, now, I guess specifically for astronomy, what, what I used to use them for, and I found it exceptionally helpful uh, now, this is when I had a Newtonian. So the reason I'm mentioning that is keep in mind that a Newtonian typically has a field of view that isn't that big. You know, like a, if you get to two degrees in a field of view on a Newtonian, that's pretty decent, actually. Um, mm -hmm. And in most cases, you're below that. So what I struggled with, particularly early on when I had my Newtonian, was just making sure I was in the right part of the sky. So like, you know, I would use Telrads and a 7x50 finder on the telescope but sometimes just grabbing the binoculars and panning around the sky to get the field I needed um, was way faster. And it just helped me get oriented. Uh, and then the other thing that the binos were really nice uh, compared to the Newtonian is, uh, you know, if you're looking through a Newtonian, uh, everything is upside down and left, right is reversed. So the sky <laughs> looks very different through the eyepiece than it does on your star chart. Mm -hmm. So using the binos, it's everything's correct image, you know, so there's no flip-flopping or mental gymnastics required. So I found it pretty easy to pan through a constellation with binos, uh, you know, match what I'm seeing there to the star chart and then knowing where I should be looking for, you know, whatever object that I was interested in. So they're great for that. Um, and then there's been, you know, other nights where we've gone out to uh, dark sky sites like grasslands with telescopes, but sometimes they don't even come out of the vehicle or we set them up and we don't actually look through them because we're just enamored by the, bin the binocular views that we have. Yeah. Or sometimes like I remember one night in particular, we had uh, tons of rain and then it totally cleared off and there was like ground fog. And we kind of, but it wasn't everywhere. It was just like in little spots. And we kind of would walk, okay, we'll walk up to this hill and observe and then down over to this hollow and observe, like depending on where the ground fog was, we kind of moved around um, in ways that you just couldn't do with a telescope. And uh, I think we spent like three hours just, just observing like that as a small group. Yeah. Yeah. Which if you, if we wouldn't have had binoculars, uh, you know, we probably just would have gone to bed <laughs> and, oh, yeah. uh, it really increases the amount of observing that we've done in the past for sure. Yeah. So for me, um, like that portability and like you were saying, the ability to pretty much take them on any trip, it's pretty easy to get a pair of binoculars, uh, in the suitcase. And, uh, I, I always take a pair when I'm, when I'm traveling now and it just, uh, it's just really, really nice to nice to have, and you can get some really decent astronomy in. Mm -hmm. And then, um, like for newcomers, this is, this is the huge part. And the part that I didn't get when I received mine is just that, um, ease of use and familiarity of use. Like most people are familiar with how to use a pair of binoculars. Mm -hmm. Most people are not familiar with how to operate a telescope. I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> for sure. For sure. It is the, uh, the other thing though, that I'll mention about binoculars and maybe I don't know if I'm jumping uh, no, ahead too it. far, but 
um, is, is the diopter adjustment. And I oh, don't know yeah. if everybody knows about that on binoculars and this, okay. this can really, um, impact your enjoyment of them. And, uh, I'll give you a real world example. Um, my brother, uh, never liked binoculars, hated them, uh, because they just never worked for him properly. Uh, so one time, uh, we were out, he had just uh, bought a new pair of binoculars, thought he'd give it one more try. And he said, Nope, same issue. It's just, it's not a very clear image. I, you know, I'm not happy. And I asked him if he adjusted the diopter and he said, well, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, it was like, I was speaking a different language. So yeah. I explained to him, uh, you know what you do. So one of the eyepieces on your binoculars will have like a little adjustment ring, which is the diopter adjustment. So mm -hmm. what you do, first of all, identify which eyepiece that is. Then um, with the other eye, focus the other eyepiece using like the binocular focus wheel so that it's perfectly clear. And then go over to your eyepiece with the diopter, look through that, and then adjust the diopter so it's clear for that eye. Because our eyes are often not exactly the same in terms of their, you know, prescription, so to speak. So anyway, he did this and the binoculars worked really well for him afterwards. Yeah. I, you know, I think now he's uh, he's an avid binocular user and, you know, it was one little adjustment that really helped him with the enjoyment factor. Yeah. So just like in how to focus them, yeah, there is. Um, sort of that nuanced ability to just uh, tune them in for, for each eye by using uh, that little focus wheel on, on one of the eyepiece ends and then the primary focus wheel on the other. Yeah, and playing back and forth really can get you uh, some nice sharp uh, views of, of the sky and, and of the daytime uh, as well. Uh, yeah, that, that's a really good point. I hadn't put that in here. So, and then kind of like you, I'd also mentioned uh, wide field um, of the binocular helps finding stuff. Like you said, uh, a really wide field on a telescope uh, is anything much wider than two degrees, but often that's still pretty small. Whereas with binoculars, um, uh, they, they pretty much started around uh, five or six degrees even. And, and uh, you know, some of our binoculars, even just my common 7 by 35 that I mostly use is, uh, is a nine degree field of view binocular, which is far wider than uh, virtually any telescope. So really facilitates uh, the finding of things combined with the correct orientation, like you've said, uh, combined with the portability. Is, it just makes it uh, just a really uh, great instrument uh, for using for astronomy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the uh, specifications and uh, maybe a little bit of information about picking a pair of binoculars. So um, this is just about the numbers that are on the uh, the binocular. And uh, so Shane, if I said we had a eight by 40 with uh, a 60 degree uh, parent field of view or so many meters at, at so many yards or feet and 20 millimeters of ER, what, what does all this stuff mean exactly? Like people are seeing these numbers. I really think that the numbers on binoculars make it sound like they're a lot more complicated than they actually are. But, but what do these numbers mean? Yeah, so the first number is always the magnification. So if it's uh, eight by 42, you have an eight times magnification. Uh, and then the 42 in that example is the diameter of the uh, objectives of the eyepiece. So kind of the, the pieces of glass at the end, like the big pieces, that, that's the diameter there. Yep. And uh, why that's important is um, it will tell you a couple, well, mostly it, it tells you about its light gathering capability. And just like a telescope, uh, binoculars purpose is to gather more light 
and focus it into your eye um, or, or one of its primary purposes. So the larger the uh, second number, the more aperture you have um, and the deeper you can you know, go in terms of seeing uh, at night with astronomy. Now, the bigger the bigger that number is also the heavier it is. So there's other factors at play, but essentially it's the, the aperture of your binocular. Yeah. And so let's talk about, you talked about the focusing of uh, that, the, the singular eyepiece by using the adapter, which is, which is a feature on most binoculars. And like you were saying, a lot of people aren't, uh, aren't aware of this. And I think you made a really good point with that, but also, um, one of the things you have to watch out for is uh, ER or eye relief. And in particular mm. for, for persons like myself, anyway, I wear glasses and I like to wear glasses when I do astronomy. And so I need um, an, like a set of eyepieces on those binoculars that have long eye relief of around like 15 to 20 millimeters seems to work uh, pretty well for me. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on longer eye relief binoculars, but uh, that, that's how I observe. Yeah. Yeah. I wear glasses as well. So eye relief is, is quite important to me. And for some reason, and I'm not sure why, um, with like telescope observing, I can usually get away with 17 to 18 millimeters of eye relief and feel like I'm still getting the full field of view. Um, but with binoculars, I'm more of a 20 millimeter kind of guy. (laughs) And I know like two to three millimeters doesn't sound like very much, but it, it can really impact your uh, enjoyment because too much eye relief and you start to get what's referred to as like blackouts or kidney beaning, uh, which means like your eye placement has to be just perfect or else, you know, you're going to see black. Um, but, uh, yeah, with binoculars, I, I typically need 20 millimeters. Yeah. Yeah. So, so do I, and, uh, it's just something people be aware of that not all binoculars are designed for people to wear glasses and use. So if, if you are an individual like, like Shane and I, who wears glasses to, to, uh, um, for farsightedness, um, or whatever, um, then you should look at getting a pair that will work, um, with your glasses. Like if you're actually in the market to, to buy a pair. Um, the other thing I put in here is the business of field of view. It can be a little bit confusing with binoculars because sometimes they'll mark, uh, the field of view in feet at a thousand yards. I'm not sure if you've seen this as well. Yeah, it's it's confusing to me. Um, I just would like to know the the degrees, but you know, I think that's largely because I'm used to that with uh, with telescopes and you know astronomical observing. Um, but I, yeah, I've gotten a little bit used to the either the meters per or what is it feet uh, at yards. I think feet, and feet there's yards, another one. Yeah, it's it is confusing, but yeah. uh, you know the the one thing that that I, I think I, I would recommend is like now if somebody's just looking for a really inexpensive pair and they don't need long eye relief, or if you already own a pair and it has that, you can just look up the formula for calculating degrees based on um, the numbers on the binocular that you have. You can probably just put it into Google as it's on the binocular and we'll give you the answer. Um, but why degrees are important is that um, when we look at the night sky, we're kind of always sort of measuring it off a bit and like trying to find a field uh, that contains you know what, what we're looking at, we want to have a decently wide field of view. Your fist at arm's length is about 10 degrees and your eye will see, I think like what, 90 or 120 degrees at any, any given time without, uh, uh, without any optics. So you want to have your binocular covering, um, like around five to seven degrees, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, so that's what we're looking for. But most of the ast- astronomy, um, specific binoculars will have those numbers. Like I know, like 
a binocular from Celestron or a binocular from Nikon or a binocular from Pentax, then the list goes on and on. I know that those binoculars will typically state the, the degrees um, in, in sort of true field. Uh, as, far, as far as I've seen, Shane, I think, think they'll, they'll actually give you that number. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, and again, this, this wide field of view is, is what we're going for with binocular because it makes uh, locating things really easy to find. Now, the, the one thing that's a little bit confusing with binoculars is like at least, and this is my opinion, maybe yours as well, but you were talking about um, that 50 millimeter being a little bit hard to hold, right? You mentioned that earlier on when, when you got your, your 10 by 50s, that was a little bit difficult for you to hold. Yeah. Well, it was just, I couldn't hold it steady enough. So all of the stars are sort of, you know, it looks to me like they're jumping around and it was almost useless, uh, hand holding. So I ended up having to mount them on a tripod. Yeah. And so for me, it was, it was the same thing. Like I was a young, very fit, healthy uh, person. And, um, my 10 by fifties, just like you, I, I just couldn't hold them still enough. So I ended up mounting them to a tripod which kind of negates some of that portability um, that we're talking about in all this, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So aperture with binoculars sort of oddly doesn't really rule the roost, does it? Like you can get binoculars that are pretty big. Like I have some 60 and 70 millimeters. I even have a hundred millimeter pair of uh, 22 by hundreds. Um, and then we have like those more common sizes in like the 30 to 56 millimeter range. And then we have like, almost opera type glasses that can be, uh, they might be 40 or 50 millimeters, but they're only like two or three power, like the ones that, uh, uh, that you and I cobbled together once. But, um, with those bigger binoculars though, um, you're, you're really limiting yourself in some of the prime benefits of, of the binocular. And, and it's kind of a point I, I kind of want to drive home with people. Don't go and buy the biggest binoculars, uh, you find. I think that's pretty good advice, isn't it? For sure. For sure. It is. Um, and, you know, and another thing would be the same recommendation that we often give out uh, about considering different telescopes is just uh, if you can uh, go um, like go to a, uh, like an astronomy club meeting or an observing session and just see if you can borrow other people's uh, binoculars and see what what you like as well, because there's an awful lot uh, of choices out there. Yeah. So common sizes that you'll see. Um... And, and the recommendation by Terrence Dickinson and Alan Dyer back in those days was the 10 by 50. And uh, subsequently, uh, they may have changed a little. I certainly have changed that. And, and I make the recommendation that people should look at an 8 by 40 or an 8 by 42 mm -hmm. or something uh, very close to those numbers. I, I'm not sure what your thoughts are, Shane, but let's dive into this a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm 100% the same. Um, like I have a pair of 8 by 42s, which I really enjoy. Um, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent stable when I'm holding them. Um, but I'm pretty decent and they, uh, they certainly work well for me, uh, for astronomical purposes. Um, and you know, one of these things about me just being stable, some of this too, just takes you a little bit of time, I think, to find the best way to use your binoculars. So they are a little more stable. So the reason I'm mentioning that is if you, you know, go out today and buy a pair of binoculars, use them tonight. And if you're disappointed because of the shakes, um, just kind of keep practicing, you'll get better over time. Yeah. You're, you'll, you'll find different ways to hold them. Uh, you know, to push them into your, like your eye sockets, basically to help stabilize, yeah. like there's little tips and tricks that you'll learn that just help the overall performance. 
Yeah. So what happens if you have a have a binocular that's just uh, larger and uh, with a little bit more power, like a ten by fifty over an eight by forty or something like that, um, is that the stars will just dance a little bit more, and you have to concentrate a little bit harder on holding them steady. And because of that, it can be difficult to hold them up for long periods of time. So I had these 10 by 50s, and then I eventually um, moved to a 7 by 50. And when I did that, like I found with the 10 by 50s, uh, my views were pretty short, quick, like hold them up, kind of find something, uh, like just really help me locate something and then go and put the telescope on and have a view. And that, that's kind of how I use those. Um, but when I moved to the 7 by 50, you know, I broke out a lounger and I could just sit there and use binoculars all night. It was very comfortable. The images weren't dancing around. And, and to be honest, I was actually surprised that while the, the 10 by 50 certainly would show a little bit more, um, the, the amount of fatigue that I had in holding them uh, limited me to, to how long I was, I was using them for. So my sessions were much, much shorter. So um, yeah, I'm not sure if you had a similar experience when you, you went down to like an eight power from there, Shane. Uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty similar to what you just said for sure. Yeah. So, um, you'll see that there's lots of 70 millimeter binoculars out there for not bad pricing. I think like a hundred, $150 uh, Canadian anyway. Um, and those binoculars are, you know, they're, they're good binoculars. I think I've, I've owned some pairs in the past. Um, but I think the challenge there is that, uh, really, you really need to, to tripod mount those. Um, in order to to get that usefulness out of whether they're a 10 by 70 or or a 12 by 60 or or whatever they are that they end up needing to be tripod mounted don't they uh yeah for sure something that large would be pretty hard to handhold and and even if you could and and you know you were fairly stable i think i think your duration would be compromised um you know your your muscles will just get fatigued holding something that large up for a period of time yeah. So that, that's why I recommend staying in like that, uh, really like that 30 to, uh, 40 odd, uh, millimeter size. And so I actually went down eventually to a seven by 35, which I think is, is really, really nice. But then Mike bought, uh, and this is a Nikon action extreme seven by 35. I still had them. I really like them. Mike went out and bought the eight by 40 or eight by 42 or whatever it is. And, uh, I, I think I kind of thought that one might have the edge because that extra one X in power seemed to take it just that much closer to the 10 X. Um, while at the same time, it didn't really seem to introduce, um, significant shaking. And then the extra five or so millimeters in aperture really seemed to pull in uh, a significant amount more light again, without adding uh, significant more, more weight. I think mine are, are, you know, uh, three ounces lighter than, than Mike's. Um, so it wasn't really that big a deal to go to the 10 power by 50, um, added in like, I think eight or 10 ounces. So think about that. It's more than holding up a pop can or soda can, um, in addition to, to what you have already in, in the seven by 35. So, so to me, that's a lot more weight, very quick view versus mm-hmm. like a seven by 35 or an eight by 40, um, which I can hold up for two or three minutes and get lots of observing. And if I'm sitting in a chair, I can almost get it set up so I can observe for, uh, for, for lots, uh, lots longer and, and do a long session uh, during the course of the evening. Yeah, exactly. Cool. All right. So we covered uh, aperture. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, people shouldn't get too, too hung up on getting really big binoculars because I think once you cross that, that threshold of 50 millimeters anyway, um, 
you're really getting a binocular that needs to be mounted. Once you start mounting things, at least in my opinion, um, you might as well start looking at some of the smaller um, ED uh, telescopes uh, because between the price of, of the binocular and the hassle of getting it mounted and the difficulties in use, you're, you're introducing some challenges there um, that the little telescope is, is going to overcome pretty quickly, in, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, for sure. So with the smaller binoculars, you can handhold them, but if you are going to get a 10 power or larger, um, say like a 10 or, or 12 X, something in the uh, maybe 56 to 70 millimeter size, I think probably the best way to mount those is to get one of those old $25 tripod adapter brackets and, uh, and just uh, a pretty common, uh, good, steady little um, uh, camera tripod. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that, Shane? Yeah, that's exactly what I used uh, a long time ago. Like you can get these L brackets that um, most binoculars can accept and um, it works fairly well. Um, now you need some sort of like a like photographic ball head or something like that to mount them on. Um, but if you, if you do that, uh, some other things that are kind of beneficial would be a tripod with like a geared column so that you can raise or lower the binoculars depending on the angle uh, that you're viewing. Um, and if you have like a panning video head uh, for your tripod, um, you know, that's uh, awesome for binoculars as well. Um, but ideally there's the, uh, and you have one of these is a parallelogram mount, um, which, you know, I think is just amazing for binoculars. Um, why don't, uh, why don't you describe what that thing is like? Yeah. So it, it is a little bit difficult to describe, but what it, what it is basically is, uh, is like a hinged bracket with two long, um, square tubes of metal. Um, and it, ooh, there's a butterfly here and it allows you to, to kind of move and angle them. Now it's quite long. I think they're the, uh, the metal is about four feet long, maybe a little bit longer. And you put a weight at one on one side. And then, um, on the other side that sticks up a little bit further, there's a little platform that you mount your tripod adapter or binoculars to, uh, one way or another. And the way that it works is you can just with your hand raise or lower them. So it's kind of like the best of, of all worlds where you're able to have the ability of kind of freewheeling around the sky like you do normally uh, when you're hand-holding binoculars, um, but, uh, but without actually having to, to hold them. So you just kind of look and then you just have the binoculars sitting there and you can just with your, with your hand very lightly um, move them around the sky. And then as you might walk around, uh, instead of just turning around, you're going to have to walk around the tripod. Um, but, it, but it actually is a really nice experience. I think in the especially in that 70, uh, maybe to 80 millimeter uh, size class works really well on the parallelogram mount. Yeah. The, the other thing that I like, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, parallelogram mount, um, is if you're observing with somebody else that is of different height, you know, oh, you, yeah. can, you can find the object in the binoculars and then you just move, you know, upper, move the parallelogram, uh, uh mount up or down yeah. And the, the binoculars will still be on the exact same part of the sky. So it's yeah. really great if you're, you know, again, observing with kids or, or people of different height. Yeah. And I've used them for public observing mm. and, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and it really is an easy way to observe. And you have, if you have a high quality, kind of one of these mid sizes, um, kind of in that sort of 70 to 80 millimeter size range, like, like I have a pair of 10 minutes, seventies. And, uh, yeah, it, it really, really is a neat experience for people and, uh, yeah, get a lot of positive comments. 
Um, you will see that people will put even larger instruments on even larger parallelogram mounts. But I think um, there's an easier way to mount those kind of uh, binoculars. Do you mind if I kind of go down that rabbit hole briefly? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So I have a pair of 22 by 100s. And um, so this is like a nine or a 10 pound binocular. And there's lots of ones out there in the size class, like 25 by 100 and uh, uh, other ones of similar size uh, in, in like this, this sort of more or less 100 millimeter uh, class and lots of 100 millimeters. So your binocular objectives are four inches. And then the, uh, the eyepieces in these uh, binoculars, really, they're like two telescopes mounted side by side typically give uh, between 20 and, and say 25 or so power uh, plus or minus a little bit. So what I, um, what I end up doing is a parallelogram mount for, for such a heavy instrument uh, is pretty expensive. A lot of the time you'll see people will get a heavy like video tripod head, um, but those can be pretty expensive too. But I had just a regular LDAS mount. Mine was made by, uh, it's called a MicroStar, I think is, is what it's called by um, Universal Astronomics. But they don't make them anymore. But there's lots of little um, LDAS tripod heads that are around that will handle uh, 10 to 12 pounds fairly easily. And um, telescope service will, will give you some pretty good options for this over in Germany for not a whole lot of money. And what you can get is a large, a really huge L bracket and it, mine just looks like an L bracket, just like my original L bracket did for my 10 by 50s. It's just about uh, maybe 10 times larger. It's huge. And the binoculars uh, don't sit with the, um, the, the bit of the L bracket going between the objectives. They kind of sit side saddle. And then I just mount that onto the um, Aldaz head and uh, screw it down. And then I put it on my geared uh, tripod, my geared column tripod, and then I can raise and lower it. And so... Those um, that mount allows it to sort of swivel around and go up and down, and then I can raise and lower the height with the geared uh, column. And I think that that's a pretty good experience um, for such a large aperture because once you get into those larger apertures, they're they're heavy, and uh, and the mechanics required to put on a parallel the ground mount uh, start to get a bit uh, cumbersome. Yeah, yeah, no good advice for sure. Um, I've never really used super big binoculars like twenty two by one hundreds. Uh, in fact, I think the largest pair I've ever owned is, um, like 50 millimeter. So yeah, yeah this is, uh, this is all new ground for me. Yeah. I had them out one night. Um, I think you looked through them at least on one occasion. There, there's a couple downsides with really big binoculars that, that you don't realize until you're the owner of a pair. Um, one is that, um, when you get into these higher powers, like our eyes aren't all lined up the same and you do have to optically align them for your eyes. And then you kind of have to get the distance just right. Now with a handheld pair of binoculars, that's really easy to do a little bit of focus and a little bit of a moving of the uh, hinge and you're, you're good to go. It's not really a big deal. And, uh, but once you get into binoculars that are, you know, you got to put some force to kind of get them manipulated to, to do all this. And maybe you're using a screwdriver to, to change the uh, prisms a little bit. Well, it, it's not as easy to go from like, uh, Chris's eyes to Shane's eyes as easy as you think it's going to be. I was really surprised at that because I had an observing partner and his eyes were actually fairly similar to mine, but he was a very different build than I was. So we were always futzing with them. Uh, to get them to work. Now we were both pretty dedicated amateurs. So we were doing this in the field and we, we had a little screw that we would actually, or a little screwdriver head that we would like basically stick into the 
um, prism objective. And when he went up, he would give it a little turn. He would have his look and then turn it back um, because it, he was getting double images where I was getting perfect images and I was getting double images where he was getting perfect images. So um, you run into those kind of things with uh, with these size uh, of binoculars. And that's something a lot of people don't, don't consider. And then again, like the sheer size, like it's a lot of fun to use really small binoculars. You think going to these really big ones is just going to amplify that fun and it, and it doesn't amplify it like in the ways that you want it to, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that, that's a great point. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of aligns to our love of smaller telescopes too. <laughs> you know, they're just easier to use in some regards. Yeah. And in fact, I, uh, one of the, one of the reasons why I want to get like a, like a darker site to, to get out to is to maybe permanently mount those binoculars, but here I'm getting into my second year and I, I don't even have them out here. And I always thought, like, oh, once I have, I'll just bring them out and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I, I just haven't done it, right? And it's just not that easy and convenient to use those really big binoculars, um, you know, all the time, like, like you would want. But there is, there is some magic out there for binoculars, and that is the image-stabilized binocular, mm -hmm. Shane. And mm -hmm. tell us, what the heck is an image-stabilized binocular? How, how does this work? What's the magic here? Yeah, so there's uh, there's electronics in these binoculars, and they require batteries. And when you turn on the image stabilization, it counteracts all of those shakes. So something that maybe uh, listeners might be more familiar with is a lot of cameras will have like a, a vibration suppression, or you know, it goes by different names, but it's basically the same idea that you know you can handheld your camera using. Uh, high power and the camera sort of compensates for any shakes you might have and you get a nice clear picture. So the image stabilized binoculars do the same thing. And I can't understate this enough. Um, it really makes a handheld binocular function like it's on a tripod. It is, <laughs> like you said, it is really uh, almost magic. It's incredible how it transforms uh, your binocular observing. And I need to I need to put one giant warning out there um, that if you ever use image stabilized binoculars, you will never want to not use them. So you will yeah. become addicted yeah. almost immediately. Yeah, <laughs> and you're yeah. going to want a pair. Yeah, and and yeah, I, I agree. I'm really fortunate because both you and Mike have them, and you each have um, a, a different one, and they're they're both my favorites. Um, so what happens is um, that an image stabilized binoculars uh, take they take out the shake um, and they just make it sort of this very smooth and steady experience. So you can have a much higher power binocular um, and maybe even a little bit more aperture um, than, than you can with a regular handheld binocular, but without the downside of, of having to think about tripod mounting. And I think like in a nutshell, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, they're phenomenal. Um, I only like, I have the one pair, they're the Canon IS, um, 12 by 36s. And while I own, I forget what I said, seven pairs of binoculars, um, the Canons get 98% of my use just because of that stabilization feature. They're just so wonderful. Um, I'm, I'm addicted. I love the stabilization. It works really, really well. Yeah. So the Canon is, is the one that seems to make the best by all accounts. I, I've never looked through any of the other ones other than the Canons. I, I've looked through most of the Canons. Uh, Canon is a, is, is a camera manufacturer, um, but they also make these, uh, these specialized uh, binoculars. 
And um, they, they have a few lines. Um, they have these smaller ones that are all like 32 millimeters in aperture and you can get them in 10, 12 and 14 or something. But I think the field of view is kind of small and those ones don't seem to get the same review as the, as the other line. Um, and the other line has like an eight by 20, which from all accounts seems to be kind of small and expensive for uh, image stabilization. But then they make a 10 by 30 um, which I've used and, and it's really cool, but it kind of is just on the cusp of where that image stabilizing um, effect really gets pronounced. Uh, and then you have the 12 by 36, which I love because they're very small and lightweight, but it has a 12 magnification and 36 millimeters in aperture. It's pretty decent binocular for, for doing astronomy, uh, throw in the image stabilization and it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Eh? It absolutely is. And, and these binoculars have traveled the world uh, with me and um, they're phenomenal during daytime too. Again, I mentioned, you know, whale watching or, or sightseeing uh, they're great for that. And um, they're, they're not too large and their weight is fairly decent too. Now they are, they are certainly heavier than a, a 12 by 36 binocular that would not have uh, image stabilization, but um, you know, it's a bit of a trade-off, I suppose. Yeah. The one thing I like about the 12 by 36 is, is they, they are among the lighter of the image stabilized binoculars. They're, they're among the, among the least expensive. And, uh, and I feel like you, you get with the 12 power, you really get that benefit of the image stabilization and, and, a, and a decent aperture. Um, Canon also makes the 15 by 50, which is what Mike has. He's had that for a number of years. And uh, the only thing I'll say about that one that's different is with the 12 by 36, I find like I can really use it like standing, walking around, like because I've I've been fortunate to be lent yours on on a number of occasions when we're out at night. And uh, with the 15 by 50, I find it a bit heavy to handhold while standing. However, usually when we're out at these dark sky sites, we have our uh, reclining chairs, and I find uh, the view through the 15 by 50 seated um, is probably just about the best view I've ever had uh, seated handholding a pair of binoculars. It's just simply astounding. Uh, what those binoculars can reveal in the night sky when you're just uh, sitting in, and hand-holding them and kind of have your hands on the uh, armrests of, uh, of a recliner. Just uh, astounding how those ones work. Yeah, yeah, they, they're so good. I just, they're my favorite binocular. Um, if they ever stopped working, I would replace it in a heartbeat. Um, it's yeah. just, they're that good. Yeah. Now, Canon also makes a 10 by 42 mm -hmm. astronomical image stabilized binocular. And I've tried this. Have you tried these ones? I have not. So they are, they are, they're sort of like, in a, in a way, they kind of sit in between the 15 by 50s and the 12 by 36, um, like in a way, because they, uh, they only have 10 magnification um, and then they have 42 millimeter aperture. So the 10 magnification sits between um, or it sits below the, the 12X, but the aperture sits sort of uh, in the middle of those two. Um, they have the widest field of view. They have a very flat field of view and really expensive glass and coatings. So they're very good. But my, um, I guess, I guess my concern about those ones when I've used them, I've used two or three different ones just for like, you know, 15 minutes each kind of thing, is that they're almost as heavy as the 15 by 50s without the power and, and slightly less aperture. Um, and then uh, let's see. Yeah. So, so they're, they're getting to be on the, on the heavier side. And so I found they didn't quite punch to where the 15 by 50 punches, um, but they're, they're a little bit closer to the 12 by 36s, 
but the the added weight and then they have a wide field of view it's about a degree or a degree and a half larger than the 12 by 36s i didn't find to be um, as significantly larger as the 12 by 36s was that uh, really made me want to take the leap um, actually I, I thought eventually I might go and buy a pair and maybe I will at some future point in time, but they didn't quite, uh, do it for me the way, the way that I thought. Um, so I still really like the 12 by 36 is in, in the sort of light portable walk around and use. And then I really, uh, think the 15 by fifties, if you're going to sit down, whereas the 10 by 42s, I felt a little heavy to stand and walk around with. And really, not quite the power that I'm that I'm looking for if I'm going to sit down and, and do binocular astronomy. It's just uh, not that much power because they are uh, they are almost as heavy as the 15 by 50. So uh, to me, I really just wanted to still sit down and, and use them. Uh, but that was just my experience. And if you read reviews and uh, get some recommendations here, um, people have the exact opposite experience. It's very personal when you get to this stuff. And these aren't inexpensive, are they? They're they're a little bit on the more expensive end of binoculars. Yeah, yeah. The uh... Uh, the 12 by 36s are, you know, it's all relative. So, you know, in the world of image stabilization, 12 by 36s are uh, not nearly as expensive as the 15 by 50s. And then, you know, the 10 by 42s are even more expensive. Like I think the 10 by 42s are around 1700 Canadian dollars, um, which is a lot of money for anything. Um, now, if you get into high-end binoculars like, um, you know, Swarovski or Leica or Zeiss, you know, $2,000 for a pair of binoculars is almost entry level, I think in some regards. So, yeah. so like any hobby, um, there's no real ceiling on how much you can spend. Yeah. And have you ever had the opportunity to look through any of those, uh, uh those sort of alpha binoculars? Not, not, uh, in, in the large apertures or their high end flagship models. I do have a pair of, um, what the heck are they now? Uh, there's Zeiss Terra, uh, but it's the, um, oh gee, they're the small ones, like eight by 25s or something like that, or seven by 25s. Yeah. And, uh, they're, they're wonderful. I really do like them. Um, but you know, I think their flagship models are maybe the victory line or something like that. And I've, I've never looked through them. Yeah. I I've had the opportunity, um, personally used to observe with uh, Rudolph Dorner and unfortunately passed away recently. Um, was a very generous person. And, uh, he also was somebody that, that really, um, enjoyed getting some pretty unique and sometimes very expensive uh, optics and, um, actually, uh, has, has, uh, created the, the, the funding and, and foundation for the, uh, Canadian telescope museum. Um, but I used to live near him and, uh, and we went out a bunch of times with his binocular collection, including like the Kawa Highlander 82 millimeter promenade fluorite crystal, magic in the glass and some Swarovskis and different optics like that. And, uh, boy, I gotta say like those handheld, they were like an 8.5 X, um, by 40 or 45 millimeter Swarovski, um, had to just go give the best view of the night sky that I've had, um, in any size instrument that I've ever looked through, but it, it was a two or $3,000 handheld pair of binoculars mm -hmm. that honestly, if, if, uh, someone didn't know, um, what, what they were looking at would just, and it was sitting on a counter, they would think, oh yeah, just some crappy pair of binoculars like everybody has in their house. Um, it doesn't really look any different when you look at it. Uh, but when you look through it, um, it just, I, I couldn't believe how good the views were through, uh, through optics like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, Leica re-released, uh, their seven by 35, uh, Trinovids. Um, it's oh, based really? on a, a classic design and, um, 
I would love to to look through a pair and maybe one day purchase, but um, you know, this is getting into that $2,000 range, but seven by 35s, I think are just the ideal binocular. Um, They're easy to handhold. They're light. Um, They often have a, a, you know, a pretty decent field of view and these Leicas I think are about eight degrees, which isn't gigantic, but it's, it's pretty darn good. So um, that's a, that's a bit of a dream wish list item for me. I doubt I'll ever make the plunge, but you never know. <laughs> oh, we're, we're starting to dream here. Hopefully we haven't put the listeners to sleep. Um, maybe we should just give some resources and recommendations and, and wrap up. How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds good. So I've got a, a few um, online resources people people can hit if they're looking for more information on binocular observing. And, and I think that if, um, and I, I think this one goes out on the, on the uh, 365 Days of Astronomy, and uh, maybe it motivate people to go and take their binoculars out if they have a pair in the house or go and buy an inexpensive pair at a thrift shop or something. Go out and take a look at the moon next time it's up. If the moon mm-hmm. isn't full, you'll be able to see craters uh, running down the uh, the line that separates the dark portion of the moon from the bright portion of the moon. If you can see the Milky Way, you don't need to know anything about astronomy. Just go out and scan up and down the Milky Way. You'll see all kinds of nebulous, star clusters, and different structure in our own home galaxy. You don't even need to know what any of that stuff is. It's just all right there for you to see with a pair of uh, $100 binoculars if you got them. All right, so some resources. Probably one of the best resources to hit is the Cloudy Nights Binocular Forum. Mm-hmm. Comment on that, Shane. Yeah, well, you know, you're if you go there, you're going to get uh, feedback from real world users of these things. You know, amateurs like us, and um, you know, you can interact with them. You can ask questions. There's just a ton of great information there. Uh, another great uh, resource is Gary Serenik. Serenik. Um, anyway, he's. Uh, columnist for uh, Sky and Telescope magazine and uh, Canadian amateur astronomer and uh, on Gary Serenik, S-E-R-O-N-I-K.com. He's got a whole section on binocular stargazing. Uh, There's also binocularsky.com. You can go there. There's some pretty good resources. And uh, I've got some book recommendations here, unless you have another web uh, resource for binocular observers. No, no. Why don't you jump into the books? Let's go to the books. Love the books. My favorite book on binocular astronomy and perhaps one of my all-time favorite books on astronomy is called Binocular Astronomy, strangely enough. And it's by Craig Crossen, C-R-O-S-S-E-N. If you are interested in doing astronomy and like me, if you kind of like to, to know a little bit about the history of astronomy combined with what you can see in the night sky through a small portable handheld instrument, that book, yeah, boy, I, I, I think I bought it 15 years ago. I wish it was the second astronomy book. Once I get interested in astronomy, I really wish I'd had that book. I didn't buy it for a while because the older version anyway, and the version that I have, um, I didn't like the cover. And this is the classic case of ju- judging the book by its cover. I, I didn't care for the cover that much. I thought it looked like a book maybe that was appealing for uh, younger people, maybe not as appealing for me. And when and there were so many recommendations on Cloudy Nights for that book, I eventually bought it. And soon as you start reading, you're like, whoa, this, this isn't a, a book. For, I guess, well, it would be very approachable for a younger person because it's well-written. However, I think it's a book that, uh, that anybody that likes to do astronomy and that has an interest in, in using binoculars on the night sky um, really should own. Okay. Uh, another one is, and this is a very different book by Gary Cernick, and it's uh, called Binocular Highlights. And it's, uh, it's an excerpt of different things that you can see in the night sky through binoculars. It includes charts, a little bit about binoculars, very brief overview of binoculars. And then it has like a selection of charts throughout the year 
um, that you can use to get going for finding uh, stuff with binoculars. I just like it. it. It's one, you know, you don't often see these. It's it's a book that that I think a beginner can enjoy and use. I think it's a book that um, somebody who's been doing astronomy for a while can use. It's not really heavy on language. It's not really heavy on tech stuff. It's just a really nice book. I just wish there was more books like this because it's designed to be taken out and used under the stars. Um, it folds out flat. It's kind of like a really neat companion to the pocket atlas. It's sort of like its own thing. Uh, my only my only fault with that book is I wish he made it longer. Mm. I wish he had more sections. I like it. That That's how much I like it. I wish there was more of it or I wish he would make more versions of it. I think it's a really great concept. I think he hit it out of the park with the concept. Uh, maybe even more so than than he was intending to or realized. I, I wish it was a bigger book. Okay, um, let's see. What else do I got? Oh, Touring the Universe Through Binoculars, otherwise known as Tuba, uh, by Phil Harrington. Do you have that book? I do. Yeah, I love that book. I love the layout. In fact, um, while it's a binocular guide, it also serves as like a really good, excuse me, uh, small telescope guide. Um, yeah. It kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah, he uh, Harrington puts lots of objects in there, um, and I I think um, I, if I was recommending these books, it's almost in that order. Binocular astronomy, I think, has huge appeal. There there is a lot of objects, but he creates it in an approachable way. And Crossan does. He kind of breaks it down by season, and it's a it's more um, approachable. Um, handful of objects and very general introduction to sort of the seasons of astronomy, and then he sort of dives into to, to the seasons a little bit deeper. Um, binocular astronomy by Gary Sarnik is a brief overview with some really easy to use star charts and then touring the universe through binoculars. I think it's a little bit more challenging, but I think, uh, people that are looking to have binoculars and, and actually get the most out of them. If you have those three books, uh, you're going to do pretty good. Then there's also binocular astronomy by Steve Tonkin. Um, I have this, I think it's a pretty good book. I think, um, it covers a lot of ground that these other books, uh, sort of covered together. Um, it's a little bit thicker. It's not really meant to be used in the field and uh, kind of dives into a lot of the technical stuff um, and the different mounts that are available maybe a little bit better than what the other books go into. Um, so I think kind of with these four, I think that 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 is really the core binocular uh, stargazing uh, library, at least uh, in my bookshelf anyway. Yeah, all, all really good recommendation. Uh, recommendations. Uh, Stephen James O'Mara has one or two oh, guides yeah, out as well, which are pretty good. Um, yep. and, and I think relatively inexpensive. So I'd add those to the list as well, but, yep. uh, you cannot go wrong with, uh, any of those suggestions. Yeah. Any other suggestions that you might have Shane before we wrap up? No, that's everything for me, Chris. Hey, well, thanks Shane. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, we always appreciate people's observing reports and your observing emails to actualastronomy at gmail.com. And uh, certainly if uh, maybe you have your own experience in binoculars or, or what you're observing, uh, maybe it's different from what, what we've said here. You have different recommendations. Just let us know and we'll read it out in, in a future episode. Thank you so much, Shane. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.